You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben from Benjamin Hall Audio Productions. That sounds weird to say, but yes. I'm going to get used to it. You'll get used yeah. to it. Transformation complete. I see you have your new email address. Yes. You're ready to go. I'm ready, man. I'm getting traffic to the new uh, <laughs> to the new producer name, so it's happening. Good, good, yeah. good. Well, you have some... some News? Are you going to share your news? Yeah, I can. I might as well. Um, I quit my day job, which is awesome. So I'm going full-time studio, and I'm very excited for that. Uh, Honestly, it's been I've been planning this for the last two years. It's taken me this long to get here. (laughs) And that still doesn't mean that it will be a smooth or easy transition, but it was time. So Yeah. Yeah. At at some point. At some point, you got to like, you uh, you got to, you got to jump out there and take a chance so yeah that's true that's true you've and and you've done that before you did it when you went on tour with Lacey and um yeah you were the one who told me that um you never look back right you made that decision yeah and the experience you got from it was priceless I you'll probably find the same thing this time you know yeah exactly I, I think so so cool yeah man I'm excited for that uh more exciting is I'm brewing beer now, so that's <laughs> uh, <laughs> that will definitely yes, this uh, is, uh, give so me a return. <laughs> is that going to be your new your new day job? Brew, <laughs> beer brewer by day, audio producer by night. No, I don't have the capacity right now. I mean, who knows? Kind of my idea is that well, for one, I love beer, all kinds of beer, so it'll be just kind of <laughs> it'll be a Can't fun argue with that. Yeah, it'll be a fun. Um, experiment uh to dive into that keep me busy it's not too hard to do either like it just takes up two to three hours once every two weeks and you can be brewing beer at least from these kits that's what i'm starting with and uh my idea with that is like maybe i can give those away to friends and family at christmas time or even the clients like that would be fun like hey thanks for booking me in the studio yeah here's a here's a home brew from (laughs) from my studio that's cool you should yeah brand it brand it with your studio and then um i love that that's great yeah two to three hours you know that's like what it takes me to bounce a mix out of pro tools so um (laughs) maybe i can do it (laughs) yeah man yeah i'll give you some just kidding just kidding yeah 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 no I, i i love it i love when people brew their own stuff i'm always curious to try it um, is beer can you can you get it so wrong that like you'll get sick or is that a pretty low risk? I think it's a pretty low risk. I, I was thinking about that and now granted I don't know because this is my first batch that I'm currently brewing. but I was thinking mm-hmm. to myself like this was really easy to set up like there's got to be low risk here because they wouldn't let just people do this at home if they were gonna like yeah. really poison themselves. Like like distillation is is hairy, right? Because you can make types of alcohols that'll make you go blind. Yeah, right. You can you don't do want crazy to, like, stuff. Methanol. <laughs> I, yes, right, right, right. But I I know a long time. This was a decade ago. I had a friend who was brewing beer, and he made a batch, 
I had one beer and I was like, drunk isn't the right word, but my, my vision was doing <laughs> funny things. And Ooh. I was like, what is that possible? I don't, I mean, you're not, there's no distillation process. No. It's all fermentations. Anyway, that's, I think that's I digress, but I'm, I've always been curious about that. Part of the reason for brewing in the first place is to make water last longer. I mean, maybe that's not exactly the reason, but like you ferment ah, it yes. and it's good for a longer period of time. And, and just the process of what's happening, like you're feeding malts, which is, which is a more complex type of sugar, uh, to yeast and the yeast is eating it and multiplying and the byproduct is alcohol. And once right. the yeast produces enough alcohol, then the alcohol actually kills the yeast because it can't live in there anymore. So it's kind of like a it's a self sanitization type of process. <laughs> which is right, which is right. kinda cool that like, you know, I just have my beer. It's on my it's on my counter out in my kitchen right now, just sitting in uh in a glass container brewing at room temperature and like you couldn't leave anything else out at room temperature without it going bad. But like, <laughs> it's kind of amazing that like right, you can do right. that with beer and it just kind of does its thing and it, you know, keeps itself sanitary. So yeah, very cool. Well, our episode today is about how to use references in your audio production process, not just mixing. There's a couple, a couple different places we'll talk yes. about. And I, I have this this quote. This is a weird quote from George Massenburg, who's one of the one of the godfathers of equalization and and mixing in general. I don't know the context for this quote because it's just like too on the nose. But anyway, the <laughs> quote from George Massenburg is this: "I wish guys would pick up several of the top 100 CDs, the ones they're trying to emulate, and listen to them compared with their work, and then tell themselves that their ears are not deceiving them." Just that is much an interesting textbook quote. definition of referencing. But the part, yeah, I I mean, the part that's out of context is he says, I wish guys would, as if like the previous five minutes, you know, he's complaining about these these punks who can't mix. They're not they're, <laughs> they're not using their ears or whatever, you know? They're lying to themselves. Interesting. Do you know what the context is, or did you just find the quote? I don't. I don't. This this quote um is from a book I mentioned quite a bit on this podcast. It's called um, mm. "Mixing Secrets for the Home Studio for the Small Studio" by Mike Senior. It's an old book, but it's um, it was one of the books that led me to like breakthroughs in audio production mm, and mixing, particularly. So that's where the quote is from. And uh, yeah, so let's let's get into it, Ben. Give me some of your reasons. Or I guess contexts for when using a reference is appropriate. Great question. Um, so yeah, diving right in. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> First, yeah. So I'll just go out there on a limb and just say I think you can use references in every stage of audio production. Like there's not a stage that can't benefit from using references. And I guess let's just jump through the different ones. Um, I'll I'll start with songwriting i think that using references in songwriting is awesome i do this really weird thing with songwriting sometimes um just to jump off into the maybe more abstract ways you can use references <laughs> but sometimes i like to take a song that i really enjoy or am inspired by and let's say it's uh 
indie rock tune or whatever. And I'll pick up my bass in my hands and write a new bass line that goes with the song. Ooh, yeah. And that will also fit the song, but it's a different bass line that's in there. Or let's say maybe the song doesn't have bass at all and I'll just write bass to go along with it. Well, then I'll mute the reference and then just write new drums that are inspired by the bass line that's there. And then after doing mm. that for a certain amount of time, you've got a completely new song that was inspired by your initial reference. I love doing that kind of a thing. Yes. Cool, yeah. I mean, we talk about all the time these common chord progressions that you keep hearing time and time again in genres. You're basically leveraging that concept by taking a song mm -hmm. with a certain progression and then writing a bass line to it. I love that. That's a very cool idea. Yeah, so going along with more of songwriting things. Um, yeah, I love to use references for ideas for progressions. Because um, one thing that I noticed about songwriting and like I'm I'm not a uh, uh, I'm a decent songwriter, but I don't do it all the time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I could use all the help I could get. <laughs> and um, mm. I find that if I just try to sit down from scratch, I tend to write a lot of the same similar progressions or rhythms or whatever. And one way to get out of that is just to kind of take other references from songs that you like or songs that uh, or artists that you like that do something different than you do. And, and if you take that as a reference and say, what is that progression? Let me figure that out. Maybe I could use that progression in a song or, you know, what is that rhythm that they're playing on the guitar? Like maybe I could use that rhythm in an interesting way. Um, I love it for the most recent song that I wrote. I used a Dance Gavin Dance song to get ideas for vocal mm. melodies because I really struggle mm. with vocal melodies from time to time. And I love the way that he does vocals, so I tried to listen to a bunch of Dance Gavin Dance tunes just to get in the mindset of like, what is he, what is he thinking? What does he tend to try to do with his vocal melodies? And using that to try mm. to influence what I'm doing, like getting in the head of other artist yeah i will say i i do um a similar thing although i don't even realize until you started talking about it that i do this but if i'm working with an artist on a production this just happened to me recently um i will obviously ask them for what they think sounds similar to what they're kind of going for and we haven't even necessarily written the full song yet and then throughout the days like leading up to the session or the pre-production I'll be just generating like playlists off of their songs that they gave me on my streaming service and just listening to mm -hmm. them and just trying to notice like, huh, oh, interesting. You know, they have um, finger snaps. Cool. You know, just yeah. noticing the little elements. So that is a, I like that a lot of the idea of referencing as part of the pre-production or writing process. Makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Um, let me see what else I got here. Oh, another one that I like to use too is, um, and this is more in a context of like what you're talking about where I'm working with an artist, uh, especially if it's in a genre that's outside of something I typically work with. I'll listen to either the references that the artist provides or other songs in that genre to get an idea for what kind of instrumentation is happening. Like you talked about percussion effects and you know mm -hmm. what what is typical in a 
in a song of this style, does it have a lot of lead guitars? Does it have synths? Does it have brass or strings going on? You know, just uh, getting ideas of like what is constituting the instrumentation is huge for me. Yeah, it's amazing. I often get surprised. I'm, you know, I'm like, <laughs> there's songs you even know, but when you listen for fun, you're like, I don't know, is that a, does that song have a synth or a guitar? I can't remember. When you listen with that mm -hmm. with that ear, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, it does have a little guitar in there. I never noticed that. <laughs> I even have in my notes here, um, when you're trying to listen for songs as reference, listen to try to pick out the, the candy or the in intricate parts in a song. Because those are the things that kind of make the song, but you don't hear when you're mm. just listening to the song as a whole. Um, yeah, A great right. example of this right. is I... I won't even say a song in particular, but I'll say the artist Jamiroquai, who is like funk, mm. disco, pop. And they do a lot of, or he does a lot of very interesting um, percussion effects. Like there's more than one song where there's like a very interesting rhythm happening on just a triangle. And without mm. the triangle part, the song doesn't sound the way that it sounds. But right. I don't think most people would think of like, Oh, I need a triangle to add here to to make the vibe. Yeah, yeah. Two artists uh, that I get inspiration from like that are Beck and Tune Yards. They both mm. do just weird. I'm like, wow, is that like a distorted acoustic guitar? I mean, like Beck does weird <laughs> stuff, like, or he used to anyway. He used to oh, do really? weird stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Cool. Like yes. Yeah. Kind of what What else you got on your list of of useful reference situations? So I've got, um, that's all I got for songwriting. Um, I, I have recording on here. That's probably where I use references the most actually in recording. Um, mm. Specifically for picking out either the specific tone, whether that's in a DAW using amp sim plugins, like what kind of guitar tone are we going for? Or, you know, when we go up, to mic up the amp, like how am I going to mic up this amp? How am I going to mic up the drums? What kind of symbols are we going to use? I love to use references for that um, part of the process because if I can get closer to the source tone or if I can get closer to my reference tone with uh, the source tones that I'm recording, then that's the less work I have to do on the back end. Sure. And I also, yeah, in that phase of the process, I'll also use references more specifically. Like I might take a, a song just specifically for the way the drums sound instead of the overall mm. song in and of itself. Or I know you've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, like uh, specific guitar tones you really love. Like you have a playlist mm -hmm. of the reference songs that you like. So I will do that whenever it comes to recording. Yep. I have, I'm, I'm looking at my, I have basically four reasons. Um, so, so far I think you've covered just one of my reasons, interestingly enough, because okay. I didn't have the songwriting bit. Um, my reason number one was tonal decisions, which is the one you just talked about. It's trying yep. to get your individual tones, whether it's drum tones, guitar, whatever, to match something that you like. Um, so that is definitely one cool reason that I like to uh, to reference. 
My other ones are more mixing mastering, so I'll cover those as as you get there on your list. Okay. Okay, I think I'm I think I'm there at that po- <laughs> at this point now. So, yeah, to get sure. into mixing, like that's I guess that's traditionally where people think about references. Like, yeah. I'll always ask an artist for reference tracks whenever I'm mixing. Um normally 1 to 3 and it's important and and very helpful for keeping yourself your ears grounded whenever you're mixing cuz um anybody who spent any amount of time trying to manipulate audio just realizes how uh adaptive our ears are to what we're listening to it's it's pretty amazing how we can go from even me who spent countless hours working on mixing <laughs> I can listen to a song in my studio and then go and listen in my car and then go and listen on my home entertainment system in my living room and they all sound normal to me unless I'm switching back and forth like immediately then they'll sound weird but our ears just acclimate to whatever environment we're in so that oh it just sounds the way it should or normal. So yeah, that's you, the idea you, just, of it. you mentioned my my reasons two and three there. Um, my reason number two was balance decisions. So this is where we talk about relative balance between is my is my kick drum too loud? Are my vocals loud yeah. enough? That's a great prompt to listen to your references with. And number three I had was translation, which is the idea that your mix yes. will sound good across listening systems. And um uh, yeah, you, you also talked, you, you got into the, some of the whys, like, okay, this is the, the where's, where would we use references? You also started getting into some of the whys, which I think your points were spot on there. There's a couple of problems with our ears and not just our ears, but also our brains um, that make this challenging for us. As you already said, they're highly adaptable. I'll give you two examples here. The other day, I was sitting watching something on TV with my wife, and all of a sudden, you know, everything's normal. I'm just watching this. Everything's fine. All of a sudden, the refrigerator compressor kicks off. So it had been running, but all of a sudden it stopped, and I was like, oh, my God, that thing is loud. (laughs) But, like, I had totally become acclimated to it. Didn't yep. even know it was, you know, if you if you had asked me about it, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. So just an idea of how you become desensitized. Another example that I've given before is uh, with something like something being out of key or in a dissonant uh, mode. Like we talk about Locrian is a very dissonant mode. But mm-hmm. if you sit there and play Locrian scales for 30 minutes, it's going to start sounding really good. And then if you go to that, from that to a major scale, that major scale is going to blow your mind. So <laughs> our ears are very, our, our brains are very good at, at um, adaptation. So much so that we can say that all of our opinions in audio are relative. Is the, These questions that we, ha- we all ask ourselves, is there too much bass, not enough bass? These are all relative questions. So you need some kind of calibration process. So switching, like you yeah. said, like you do, which is a great idea. Every hour you put on a reference mix, like, huh, oh my God, yeah, my balances were way off there or something like that. So those mm-hmm. are um, that's one very important reason is just acclimation. Another very important reason is that your reference systems are lying to you. Your room is imperfect. Your speakers are imperfect. Even your headphones 
have their own coloration to them. And so if you're referencing, you can kind of negate that. For example, I have a pair of headphones that are very bass heavy. And I know that if I just mixed in those without a reference, I wouldn't have enough bass when I went and listened in the car. But Mm -hmm. I can listen to a reference track and say, oh, yeah, wow, this reference track is really even more bassy. That means I got to go over the top with my bass, and I know it'll translate well. So your imperfect listening systems are another great reason to, to reference. That's great. Great reasons there, Vadim. Let Thank me give you, you my, my fourth reason too. My fourth reason for oh, referencing yes. is just is, is loudness. How loud something should be. This is becoming less and less important. And you have to be careful because if your references are from a certain vintage, they will probably be too loud for what's happening today. So you got to be careful here. But it is nice if you're referencing an album or song that's relatively recent. It will give you, especially for like a CD release, if you're going to do like a CD release or Bandcamp release or something that's not going to normalize the volume, it's nice to be able to say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not way off here. I'm not way quieter or way louder than this commercial track. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that's great. I didn't have that, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, let's see here. I guess we could get into um, the how should you use references as far as like how do you set up references what are some good practices yeah what do you do for references yeah let's talk about that so um i guess the important things are um you want to use genre specific uh references or maybe not specific but genre appropriate mixes um if you're working for a client have the client provide some to you I guess there's a caveat there that maybe we could talk about later. Um, And use, I would say use references that are, it's hard to say objectively good, but I'll say subjectively good. Like there are just better songs and better mixes out there than other. Like you might really like a song, but it might not be a great production. So I would say probably stay, yeah, probably stay, uh, away from those songs as much and and use songs that are more mainstream or have been mixed and mastered by trusted uh, engineers or that are celebrated in the genre as being like oh yeah this is this is a good great mix a lot of people like it anything yes, that it's a, anything it's a to tough add to thing. that <laughs> yeah I mean it's a it's a tough thing because I our tendency as creatives and and musicians is to be like I'm going to I'm unique. My song is unique. I'm going to do something different. But this is why it's very important to not even rely on songs you like. Like don't choose a song just because you like it. Yes, you should you should think it sounds good, but I have plenty of references where I actually don't like the song very much, but I think sonically, tonally, balance-wise, it's it's a great sounding production. And I'll give you an example of where this worked against me when I was recording an album years and years ago, I was thinking about some of my favorite metal albums growing up. And I was like, I'm going to reference these. One of my favorite, to this day, one of my favorite metal albums is Vulgar Display of Power by Pantera. That album has the worst sounding guitars. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to reference it and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's what these guitars sound like. 
I hated it. So there's an example. I still love that album. I listen to it all the time, but um, it's not a great, not a great album to use as a reference. So don't choose just even hmm. even if you like, even if you found a good album, don't necessarily choose your favorite song on the album. Again, it's kind of a different criteria here. You yeah. want to choose a song that again has has that good balance. Another thing to note here is, unless you're going for a specific vintage of sound you probably want to choose something more recent, a little more contemporary because, you know, people's tastes change. There is kind of like a zeitgeist of, of music that, that moves along. And, you know, the 90s, 90s sounded different than they do today. They sounded great, um, but they sounded different. So try to choose something a little maybe more contemporary. And um, another thing you mentioned, you said you typically like to use between one and three references. I think that's great. Because you'll be surprised. I'm always amazed. I'll pull a couple of references into a session and be like, wow, these references sound really different from each other. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. They all sound good. You, it just kind of gives you a, you know, a, an area so that you have to yes. be in. And there's a co- it's good to have a couple of data points there. Yeah. And I, I in particular like to do that because if you're only – the temptation of only referencing one song is that you're chasing the sound of that song. And yeah. you should never right. do that. Um, as a songwriter, recording engineer, or mixing engineer, um, it only gets you into trouble because uh, you don't you don't have the ears that that engineer had. You don't have the source tracks that that engineer had, and it's just impossible to make one song sound like another song. So I, I like to use more than one just for that reason to help uh, help me shy away from trying to make one song sound too much or what I'm working on to sound too much like that is a trap reference. that I fall into and I've actually stopped referencing as much during mixing for yeah. that reason I, it's it's, I it's very idea. personal but for me I, I I do find I get caught up in like I'm gonna make my kick drum sound like this kick drum it's like why why <laughs> would I why would I even want to do that but I just that's a trap I fall into so so good advice there yeah, I I agree with that. And just to follow that point up a little bit too, um, I was on a coaching call today with one of my other uh, mixing groups and we were talking about this specific topic as far as referencing. And I think the consensus was what you just said. And I think it's a good practice, like specifically with mixing to try not to reference as much because it's only going to tempt you to... Um, just chase somebody else's mix and Mm. it's just it's just a bad idea and so often more than it being a bad idea so often uh in this coaching call i took one of one mix that i was working on to the call and the main coach was basically like i don't have too many comments here it sounds great and i was like oh really that's awesome because um what I'm doing is very different than the the reference mix that I was given because I was just using my intuition. Mm. And it just kind of shows you that you can be, it's easy to become self-conscious of our own ability and, and what we're doing in our own taste. And you want that, you want that validation of being like, no, I mixed this so it, it sounds like a Bruno Mars album or I mixed it, it sounds like Red Hot Chili Peppers or or Metallica, like I'm nailing the sound or of the engineers I'm going for. But uh, at the end of the day, like it is, it is subjective as much as we're talking about 
referencing and objective things. Uh, each person's different, so you're not. It's not a practical idea to try to copy somebody else's sound or style. That's true, but I, I will say when you're first starting out, first of all, this is a difficult thing to do. It's painful yes. to switch between your mix and an album that's number one on a chart for a <laughs> genre. It's very painful. Your mix doesn't stack up. It's not going to sound as big. It's not going to sound as powerful. It's not going to sound as punchy. You just got to get over it. You just got to get over that. That's how you get better. I mean, you know, you 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 listen back and forth. You find your weak spots. Um, your drums aren't as punchy. Work on that. There's 10,000 YouTube videos. There's podcasts like this one. So mm -hmm. you have to um, overcome that. But Yes, to your point. After you get, after you reach a certain comfort level and you're more comfortable with your space and your sound and what you're going for, then yeah, trying to replicate the exact elements of a mix is probably not productive. Yes. So Agreed. Ben, let's say we have a a couple of songs, and we'll talk towards the end of this. We'll give you some advice on how to pick songs and uh, maybe even some songs that you can use. Mm if you don't have a good collection of references right now. But let's say you do have some songs. What? Uh, let's talk about some some tips for using these songs. First of all, um, you want to not use MP3s if possible. MP3s have, it's a, loss, it's a lossy format as we've talked about. For one thing, MP3s cut off everything above 16 kilohertz. There's also other tricks in there for uh, making the file sizes smaller. The bottom line is if you reference against an MP3, you're going to think you're doing better than you're actually doing. Um, so you can do it, I mean, we, we in a pinch, but if you can, try to, if you have a CD, like I still have a 10,000 CDs, you can burn mm -hmm. a lossless copy from that CD. So that's 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz. If not, I'll give you um, a site I use. It's called QO Buzz. It is a site that lets you buy a lossless track for like a dollar or something. So for me, that's definitely worth it. If I ever like hear a song that I want as a reference, I'll buy it on that website. You can also use Bandcamp. If you have like indie stuff or um, some smaller releases, Bandcamp lets you buy a lossless file and that money goes directly to artists. So if, uh, if the artist is on Bandcamp, that's a great option. Um, so let's talk about now, you have your songs, you have your lossless songs, Ben. What do you do next? How do you use a reference? What mechanics, what are the mechanics of doing it? Yeah, I like this. Um, so it varies for me uh, in response to what um, stage of the audio production process I'm in. So if... Okay. I'm working on a song or an artist comes in to the studio. Hey, we want to record this tune. I'm going for, actually, I just had an artist in here that was going for a um, a perfect circle vibe. And so mm -hmm. in that situation, before we even start, hey, let's, let's bring up a perfect circle. What's your favorite song? What do you want to, uh, you know, what song in particular do you want to reference? And I'll just bring it up on YouTube or Spotify and we'll just listen to it a little bit, but more with an analytical ear and just be like, Oh, that's cool. The bass is really forward in this album. Um, it's, mm. it's a bass centered album. Like I'm listening for 
overall like tonal characteristics. Well, the vocals are really forward. That's cool. A lot of ambient guitars. The drums are punchy. They sound acoustic. They're not heavily sample replaced. Like, you know, those kind of things I'm listening for. Mm -hmm. Whereas in comparison to mixing, I'm not being nearly as analytical as far as like measuring up the, the specific balance of like how much low end I have compared to mine. I'm just listening for overall like, oh, this is the vibe of the right. song. Um, the production, I'm, what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you do. Like, do you do a similar thing when you're working with an artist from scratch? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you, yeah, like you said, YouTube or um, usually I, uh, I have my streaming service, which I use Deezer, but it's, it's basically like Spotify. Um, I'll just pull it up on there. And like I said, sometimes I'll even launch um, a song mix, you know, a mix generated. I'll let the algorithm tell me what it thinks is similar and just listen to oh, that cool. for, for a bit. Um, and you're right, it's a, it's a different mindset than when you're actually listening to the nitty gritty of like, how much five kilohertz is there and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So for <clears throat> when we get into recording, I guess it's, I guess it's similar to songwriting. Like I'll take some of the notes from that initial listen and bring it to recording. Like, okay, we're going for these kind of guitars. Like we want really high gain um, PV 5150 amps for this tone that I'm looking for. However, at this stage, I might start actually um, buying and downloading or ripping from whatever site uh, mixes that I can actually import into my DAW so that mm. I can have them there and level match them uh, to reference against what I'm, what I'm working on. And in recording, it doesn't matter as much because I'm not doing like so much bus processing or processing to multiple tracks i can just easily fly in a song and listen to it really quick and make sure it's level matched um whereas with mixing like i set up a dedicated listening uh, a reference listening bus that bypasses all my other buses so that i'm ensuring that there are no uh effects bus processing mix bus processing that's affecting the tone of my reference tracks that that are coming in right right yeah absolutely um touch on a couple of things you said uh pulling the the tracks into your session obviously is great most DAWs will let you do this uh there, there's two different types of solo functions right if you if you solo a track and then if you press solo on another track it'll either now you'll have two tracks soloed or you can make it so that it's it's a cancel. So you can only, every, when you press a solo, mm. it cancels the previous solo. So you can set up the routing in your session in such a way that uh, you can toggle between your, whatever you're working on and the reference track with the single click of a button, which is nice. So I'll usually line up my track so that, you know, whatever section I'm going for, maybe the chorus is lined up with the chorus of my song. Mm. And I'll just, you know, loop that. Um, one thing that's important, uh, it took me a while to get to this point. I used to toggle back and forth very quickly and I'm, I found that that's actually not as effective as listening for 10 seconds and then toggling hmm. because of this acclimation idea. So the first time you switch, you're always like, oh, no, it's just a shock no matter which <laughs> way you're switching. So it's nice to get acclimated, get used to the sound of your reference, then switch to yours, and then 
you know, make some some mental notes on on what's going on, what the differences are. I love that idea, and I and I agree with you there as far as it's better to acclimate, turn off the reference, and then um, use your acclimated ears to make decisions. I've even heard the advice as far as um, let's say you're you're deciding to sit down and work on songwriting or mixing, whatever you're doing. Um, and you have set aside, okay, 10 a.m. I'm doing this on Saturday. Uh, well, how about at 9:30, you get your coffee, come into your studio, start powering everything up, turn on some songs, reference songs, and just play them. And as you're setting up, just have them going in the background, and your ears will like naturally acclimate to that. And I like that yeah. idea as well. I don't, I haven't implemented that as much, but um, I do like the idea of just kind of like in the background when you're not even thinking about it or being so analytical, just letting your ears acclimate to what's happening. Mm, I like that idea too. And I'm also not really great about doing that, but it is, uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in the idea for sure. So how Uh, do you, we didn't talk about this yet, but go ahead. I was going to say, um, so how do you actually set up your references for mixing in particular? In your That's DAW. a great question. I was going to ask you the same thing because okay. <laughs> for me, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward because of the way that I do I work most recently, where I don't really use references a lot for mixing. I'll use them up front, and then I use them on the back end when I'm like, all right, are my frequency balances way off, and I'm doing my master bus processing. Then I'll use okay. references. So by the time I get to that endpoint, what I do is I basically have uh, like locked solos on all my tracks and buses. And then I just toggle between my main mix bus and my reference track. Now I will do I'll say one other thing about routing. Uh, I do have you know everything is routed to my master fader, and I actually I have nothing on that master fader except you know sonar works obviously yeah. and stuff like that. But I have done this thing where I'll I'll put an EQ on the master fader. And I'll just do a low-pass filter. So I'm only listening to what's below 200 hertz, my mix compared to the reference mix. Because sometimes it can be hard to like home in on like all right, the subs. I just want to hear the subs. So that lets me know like what's going on in the low end. And I'll even do the same thing like in the mid-range from time to time if I feel like I'm I'm missing something. Yeah. Cool. I basically do the same thing. Um, I have all of my references... Uh, I have three tracks at the bottom that I can duplicate if I need more, but three tracks at the bottom set up that are all called reference one, two, and three. They all mm. get summed into a bus that I call reference bus. That is mm. uh, the fader is set to negative 11 DB, which I found is Sounds a good, right. like, yeah, which is a good amount that you need to turn down tracks in order to hit uh, on a VU meter, right around negative 18 dB, um, which is what I'm going for as an an average RMS volume whenever I'm doing mixing. So just by having them... Uh, negative 8, by, probably mean, right? Negative 18. Negative 18. Yeah, I mix that quite. RMS. Yes. Well, okay, let me think about that. Okay, Think so this it. is this is your mix before you do all your limiting and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so I guess I should say that too. 
Um, it's interesting. We've never talked about this. Have we never talked about this? Maybe not. Um, but the way I like to go about mixing, so, you know, sorry, we're going off topic a little bit here, but, um, this helps to explain why I determined to set up my references the way that I did. So I determined that a good RMS to balance your tracks at, at least for me, is negative 18 dBFS so that you still have enough headroom that your snare drum isn't peaking your master fader. So this is with no processing on it, mm. just balancing the tracks. I always reference my reference tracks to make sure that the average volume is plus minus one dB around that negative 18 decibels full scale. And that's just me. I know other people mix a lot louder than I do, like relative to full scale, but hmm. that just works for me. Cool. I like that. I like the idea of having a bus. I um, might, might, might steal that from you. That's a, that's mm. a good trick. A reference bus. Put that into my template, in fact. I'm going to yeah, be man. tweaking that template up. Um, yeah, so uh, since we're talking about loudness, yeah, it's a good idea to, to match the loudness by ear. I, I have found similar. Minus 11 is like a nice number. The other thing you got to be careful of, I've done this countless times. You fly in a reference and you press play and it's way <laughs> louder than your mix and you blow your ears out. So usually the first thing I'll do is pull that uh, pull the clip gain down. But if I had a bus, hey, I wouldn't even have to worry about hey, it. So That's what I was just going to say. You took the words out of my mouth. That's why I started doing the bus <laughs> trick because then I don't have to think yeah. about it. I could just fly on the track. And yeah, I normally have to adjust the gains plus or minus two decibels to be in the right ballpark. But at least I'm not going to mm-hmm. blow my eardrums out if I accidentally, you know, don't mute that track. Yeah, yeah. Especially sometimes I'll, <laughs> this is even worse. Sometimes I'll have it happen where I've, I'll have my mix playing and the reference playing at the same time for oh, some reason yes. when I press play. You know, <laughs> like I, there's nothing soloed basically, yes. right? And then, oh, that's the worst. That the- Yes. <laughs> I agree. Okay, so what else do you have on your on your best practices here for references? Anything else? Let's see here. Um, I'm we mentioned it already, but I like the idea of. I feel like my ears start to get fatigued after about an hour, mm. between an mm. hour and two hours. Um, and I I think it varies from day to day, but any time where I'm sitting here, you know, because this is where I do my mixing, I'm sitting here. And I'm moving faders up and down, and it it doesn't mean anything to my brain anymore. I'm like, it's louder, and I feel like it could still be 10 decibels louder, and it's still not bright enough then right right (laughs) at that point for me for me it's when i'm when i'm adjusting a reverb send and i'm like no more more that's better more more and then i realize like the reverb bus is muted and it actually hasn't been making a difference at all i'm like okay it's time to uh time to walk away (laughs) yep and so i like to i actually always have um this isn't necessarily a, a reference trick but i always have is this a microsoft tool let me see here yeah, it's alarms and clock that's built into Microsoft. Great. Yeah. I always have the stopwatch going whenever I'm working for two reasons. One, I like to I like to challenge myself and see can I do this process faster than I've ever done it. And also just to monitor how <laughs> how long have I been working yeah. on 
a mix or, or whatever. And sometimes I'll look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been working on this for two and a half hours. And when I see that, I'm just like, you know, control S, save it, and then just walk away because I know at that just point. Walk away, yeah. Yeah. Like I'll need, um, and you might have seen this online too, because I know whenever I first started mixing, I would see this advice or hear this advice a lot. Take a lot of breaks, take breaks often. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is that? What does that actually mean? Because if I take breaks all the time, I'm not going to get any work done. But I think all, the, <laughs> I think all of that means, and like you know, just as a rule of thumb, like every hour, take a five or ten minute break. Like just give your ears, yeah. just give your ears and your eyes a chance to rest and not think about that, or or not focus on something, and then you can come back with like a fresh attitude, fresh ears. And, and start yeah, if you again. let it go too long, especially um, when if you are using reference, you'll find that you're you're way off. Like the, you just work too long, and you've 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 gone off the the path. So that's a good one. There's actually I, I can't remember the name now. There's a plugin that you could put on some bus that'll actually track like how long you've been in the session, or maybe how mm. long play has been hit for i forget what it was it sounded kind of cool for like tracking your time but i do the same thing i just have a app on my phone or i use that clock feature in uh, in windows i think that's... let's talk a little bit about uh how to pick references um and i'll, I'll give oh, you a sure. couple of examples i have on on my I list like I, I the same thing i talk about for guitar tones you know when you listen casually just mentally flag songs that may be good references. Again, you don't have to love the song. It's it's more fun if you like the song. But then test those songs on different listening systems because mm. I'm amazed. There's a, This happened to me recently with, a, with another band I love. I love MGMT. Always have. Oh, really? Interesting. They're, they're cool. They're just a quirky, fun band. I'm not a huge fan of the genre, but I was working on a song. It was actually that song that you mastered for me. Mm. Um and I thought, oh, MGMT could be like a cool reference here. And I, I pulled an MGMT song into my session. I was like, this this song doesn't sound that good. Like, this is not that good of a mix. It's a very cool song on an album I love. So you got to be careful there. Um, but I'll give you a couple that are... Oh, yeah, and also like I said, test them on different listening systems because I've run into this as well where like... I, I don't know. Not every, not every song sounds, sounds great across systems. You know, is no. there... One thing I listen for is like if I'm listening on a cell phone, if like the kick drum sounds really good, I'm like, oh, that's cool. If that kick mm. drum sounds good on a system with a sub and a cell phone, you know that's a, a solid, probably a solid reference for you. I agree um, with that, yeah. I'll just list a couple here that I have, and I'm curious, always curious to know what's on your list. I've been listening to this jazz album, which for like huh. percussion instruments and just like panning has just been really impressive for me is the charlie hunter self-titled album from it's from the year 2000 but i think that's going to be my go-to for little percussion instrument instruments just the the way they 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 were recorded and the way they're mixed and they're just really kind of transient and there's not too much compression but everything just sounds great on that album um interesting do you want to go back and forth or do you want me to give a couple of mine and give a couple of yours because i'm i'm looking i'm looking through mine Okay, cool. Yeah, no problem. Um, for hip hop, and usually I use this for like testing rooms. I really like Kendrick Lamar stuff because um, it's not overhyped. It just sounds really good. Um, anything off of Good Kid, Mad City, hmm. in particular, um, like Poetic Justice or Money Trees. I always reference those two songs. 
and then his more recent album damn if you if you're going for like massive 808s the 808s are so subby on that album they sound great um r&b and especially for a cool like r&b bass reference uh, i like mac miller's album swimming a lot and especially the song what's the use which is thundercat really cool bass tone on there cool i'll give you some 90s rock oh um, man Alice you're giving Chains. me everything <laughs> yeah just the whole i just 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 like recent ones that i've 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 um used. which album Alice in chains album dirt Sounds i totally amazing. agree with you man that is a great sounding album yeah i was listening to like them bones as a reference oh man this track just sounds awesome mm-hmm. and agree. um anything mixed by andy wallace in the 90s can't go wrong seven dust home that whole album Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire, yep. that's also an Andy Wallace mix. Nevermind by Nirvana, I believe, is an Andy Wallace mix. Um, those are great 90s references. Mm. A couple more here from Metal. I like um, Lamb of God's album, Sacrament. I like Meshuggah's album, Kolos or Kolos, K-O-L-O-S-S. Oh, maybe that and, was the uh, album. Let's see what else I got here. What's yeah. that? I, I was just thinking about this album, and I think it was... Is that the one that has um, Monstrosity on it? No, that's the next one. Oh, that's the next one. Okay. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the, uh, honestly, that was the older one. Col- Coloss, I think, sounds better than the one with Monstrosity. The Violent Sleep of Reason, I think, is the one. Yeah, that's the of. one. I wonder if it was a different mix, mix engineer. It could have been. I don't know if it is or isn't, but dude, listen, when, when we get off, listen to um, Break the Bones, Whose Sinews Gave It Motion. That song for me, just the the ambient lead guitar and like the rhythm section, I that's like what I'm going for every time when I'm working on something that, okay. <laughs> in that Very genre. Cool. Um, I'll give you a cool one here too. Um, you know Kiko Lurio, Lorio? No, I don't. He's like a prog, fantastic prog guitarist, and he's also the guitarist for Megadeth. Right oh, now, okay, I think. okay. But he released an album called Open Source, and part of the concept was that you can go on his website and download all the stems. That's and cool. if you want to know, like, he's got just great guitar tone, great bass tone, great. The drums are just the stereo drum mix, but that's a great. I mean, he's just giving that away. He wants mm-hmm. people to like remix it, work with it. So download that, um, and then I have two more here. I like for like uh, acoustic, but poppy acoustic f- stuff. Jack Johnson, what's the Yellow album? Dreams, something. Don't ask with me. With the tree on it. <laughs> I don't know. It's the one with me. banana pancakes. <laughs> you don't listen the, to that, huh? You're not asking the right person. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to give you like a smattering of genres, and then uh, modern it, hard rock or like a southern fried rock. I I like. Um, the two clutch albums that Machine did, Blast Tyrant and Earth Rocker. I just think the snares on those albums sound so good. Talk about like an all natural production, right? Hmm. No sample replacement. It's just a band, but it sounds fantastic. So those Love are it. some of mine. Um, give me some of yours. Those oh, are- I will say, you sent me one time that Muse song, Reapers, um, oh, yeah. which is his. CLA mix, mm-hmm. I use that also. That's that's a really cool mix. Yeah, like I'm not gonna start a firestorm by making fun of CLA, but I think 
you know, he, he gets a lot of hype for what he is. But the one thing I will say about CLA is he's not afraid to, he's not afraid to make like really vibey decisions. Like he's not my favorite mix engineer in any regards, but I just love that he's, he's very courageous as far as like, Hey, if this guitar needs 15 decibels of gain on the high end, I'm going to do it and not think twice about it, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and the, the, the particularly the chorus on that song just really punches you in the face, and I'm like, the level of the song just went up, and yeah. it, it it's a it's a bold decision, and but it just totally works for that song. I just love it every time. Another cool thing about that song is that for a it's like a pop rock mix, even if Muse isn't a pop rock band, like that's where they're going more pop. Um, the mm. vocals are very quiet in that chorus, but they work. Yeah. And it's very cool. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, some of mine. Um, one I'm is, actually going to write these down. Go ahead. Okay. I'm always curious what other people are using. As far as rock or pop rock or hard rock, I kind of use this mix for like any of those genres. But um, the album Ammo and in particular um, the song Mantra by Bring Me the Horizon I just love the way that that whole entire album is mixed. And it's very cool, that album, because it's got a very wide variety of genres on the same album, all mixed by the same person. And I think that it's just mm. a fantastic job on that entire album. Um, in particular, what I like about it is that it's not like... Uh, the mix overall of that album is like very warm, but with with bright elements like bright vocals and stuff like that but it's not like super bright like a lot of modern music is and i think it makes it more listenable for a longer period of time so mm, yeah yeah that is a, a problem with really modern stuff is it, it tends to be way too bright you and i talk about this all the time yeah um when we're mastering uh, for each other so yeah good one what else so i've been using that as a reference for like years now um, cause it's like okay. one of my favorites. Uh, I was just going through, I have a folder of like 87 different mixes that I will add to occasionally. And now I'm pretty happy with my list, but if I ever hear like, oh, that's an awesome mix, I'll just add it to this folder as like mm. a reference folder that I can always fly into my DAW. Um, but I just came across, I use under oaths, breathing in a new mentality. What mm. album is that from? But that's probably the best. I love that song in particular, but that album is probably the best like hardcore mixed album I've ever heard. Okay. Very, everything is just so punchy and in your face, like every instrument, drums, guitars, vocals, like they're just like decking you in the face. Uh, let me see what album that is. Um... Lost in the Sound of Separation is the album. Cool. Yeah, great, great album. Great reference if you're doing hardcore. Let's see, what else have I got here? Uh, the new Attack Attack album is amazing. Ooh, okay. Um, Mix-wise, like I know, <laughs> I know some people think they're cheesy, um, maybe not into the band so much, but like, I guess that would be um, metalcore, but like it is just such a solid mix. That's by Joey Sturgis, and okay. I heard that, and 
Like once again, not overly bright. Um, the low end is just amazing on the album. Like it's just mm. a solid, solid low end. Uh, so that's what I would say for metalcore. Uh, amazing production. Like if you want to reference like transitions and explosions and other type of like things like that, he's just one of the best at that. Um, yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. I love Bass Nectar for references for EDM and hip hop. Mm, yeah. He's one of the Dubstep. best. <laughs> yep. I don't mix that stuff too often, yeah. but like I I like listening yeah. to it as a reference. A lot of those mixes are, are are really good in the in those genres though. So yes. yeah, just for like balance, frequency balance, stuff like that. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Crystal Lake. Uh they're a Japanese metalcore band. They're like there's somewhere between like metalcore and thrash and and like wow. death metal. Like they kind of inhabit that whole space, but like their their songs sound really, really, really good. Um hmm. Dance Gavin Dance. I've got a couple songs from them for like prog rock and pop. Um I really like Dead Letter Circus and Carnival, both Australian bands mixed by um uh oh what's his name for uh forrester savile mm. uh his mixes are awesome because they have this very like live like arena type vibe to them so if you're looking for something that's mm. more like a like a big live sound like him as a mix engineer and dead letter circus and carnival are really good for that periphery is really good for gent some of the best yeah man i actually uh Blood Eagle is a song that I reference a lot because it's so bass heavy and monstrous. Usually, if you have, if you're in like a boomy room, that song is gonna let you know it. But if you're in a really tight room, it just sounds awesome. Yeah, um, I I normally just add to my collection if I hear something in a different genre that I know would help me with a specific right. artist. Yes, yes, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, it's a good list. Always, uh, I'm gonna check some of these out. A lot of this music I've haven't heard. Some of it I have, oh, but cool. a lot of it I haven't. So I'm excited to uh, to ch to uh, take a look at that. Um, another thing that we haven't talked about, but I'll just mention this as a, as a final note here. We we've talked about it in the past, but once you have this well-established list, like when I was set up my new room, which I'm in my old room now, if you noticed, but um, when I set up my new room. The first thing I did was pull up my references because I know those songs. So you, it yeah. ends up giving you a catalog of calibration songs that you can use if in a, if you have a new pair of headphones. See, so yeah, that's the other thing I do. If I get a new pair of headphones or something like that, or I'm on a different computer or whatever, I'll pull up my references and just listen to them to get acclimated. Yeah, great point. Love it, man. Hey, this has been a great episode. I'm glad we could do it. And I hope it's been helpful. Yeah, thanks for the suggestion. It's yeah, a, absolutely. It's a good topic. Get some references. Give it a shot. Yep. Until next time, we're the DIY Recording Guys, reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, 
reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.